Chapter 18 Please, please, Michael begged. He lunged across Reva's bedroom, threw his skinny arms around her waist, and hugged her. Please, you're the best sister, the best. Reva struggled out of his grasp. Michael, give me a break, she cried impatiently. I'm trying to get dressed. You're going to make me late for work. It was Monday morning, and Reva had promised her father that she'd be ready on time, so that they could drive to the store together. But you promised, Michael whined. You promised. I know I promised, Reva told him, studying her face in the mirror as she brushed her hair. I'll take you to see Santa, just not today. Why not, he insisted, pouting comically, his hands on his hips like a crotchety old man. Because today isn't a good day, Reva said brusquely, adjusting her sweater, then stepping past him and striding out into the hallway. I've made my list, her brother called, chasing after her. He caught up with her at the head of the stairs, pushed his way past, and slid down the wooden banister. I said what I wanted, and he wrote it down. How many presents are on your list, Reva asked, thinking about which coat to wear. Thirty, I think, he said. That's why I've got to see Santa right away, before he runs out of stuff. Reva was only half listening. She was already wondering how she'd ever get through another long week behind the perfume counter. Maybe tomorrow, she told her brother, patting him on the head. His curly red hair felt even softer and silkier than hers. You're a butthead, he said angrily, and scrambled off to find Yvonne. Ready to go? Mr. Dalby appeared in the hallway, already in his overcoat. His eyes were bloodshot and tired. His expression was troubled. He's been obsessing about the break-in all weekend, Reva thought, allowing him to help her into her coat. I wish there were some way I could cheer him up. They stepped out into a gray day, heavy, charcoal-covered clouds hovering low. It's cold enough to snow, her father said, sniffing the air. Smells like snow. We haven't had a white Christmas since I was little, Reva said, climbing into the passenger seat of the BMW. Sure you won't need your car today, he asked, glancing at the silver Volvo in the garage. No, maybe I'll wait around to come home with you, Reva said, settling into the seat. The heater came up right away, the air warm and soothing. Reva snuggled deeper into her coat, watching the familiar houses roll by in the gray morning light. I might be there a while, Mr. Dalby said thoughtfully. I mean, what with the robbery and all. I imagine there will be more police around today, more questions to answer. I talked to the insurance company for an hour on Saturday and two hours yesterday. He shook his head unhappily. Can you imagine? On a Sunday. They were all upset because our surveillance wasn't working. I know my premiums are going up now. They slowed for a four-way stop. Small, wet snowflakes began to fall onto the windshield, sticking for just a second before turning to water. What's their problem? Reva asked, gazing at the windshield. There are just so many unanswered questions, Mr. Dobby said, driving with one gloved hand, scratching his smooth jaw with the other. For instance, how did the robbers get into the store? They broke in, right? Reva asked. They drove past her school, dark and empty. In front, someone had decorated one of the trees with a roll of toilet paper. Kids are so immature, Reva thought. No, they didn't break in, her father said, his expression troubled. There were no doors broken, no windows smashed, no sign of a break-in. And that's not the only question. He slowed to a stop at Division Street and clicked on the windshield wipers. The snowflakes hitting the windshield were larger now, sticking longer. How did they know we had a safe on the first floor, he asked, talking as much to himself as to Reva. That safe is hidden. Very few people know about it. The main safe is on the sixth floor, in my office. So, what do you think, Reva asked. She hated to see her father so troubled, so upset. Well, I have to think it could have been an inside job, Mr. Dalby said, turning down the heat a little. One of my employees. But that doesn't make sense either. If it was an employee, they wouldn't have killed the guard, would they? Ed Javers was a friendly, well-liked guy. If the robber was an employee, 
He most likely knew Ed, so I don't think he'd kill him. Strange, Revis said. They were nearly to the store. Javers was shot in the back, Mr. Dobby revealed, lowering his voice nearly to a whisper. That doesn't make sense either. How do you mean? Reva asked. Let's say Javers entered the electronics department and discovered the burglary taking place. Why would he turn his back on the burglars? Maybe he was running away from them, Reva thought, but she didn't say it out loud. She didn't want to think about the robbery or the murdered guard. She had her own problems. As if reading her thoughts, Mr. Dobby asked, What was all over your sweater Friday? I've been so preoccupied with the robbery, I never talked with you about it. What a scare! I thought it was blood! It was blood, Reva thought, but she was determined not to upset her father any more than he already was. It was just a stupid practical joke someone played on me, she said. Should she tell him she was pretty sure it was Hank? Should she ask him to get rid of Hank? No. Reva wasn't the most thoughtful person in the world, but even she knew that this wasn't the time. Who? he asked. Who would do such a dumb thing during work hours? Reva shrugged. Beats me. Well, I wish the person would stop, he said sternly. I have enough trouble in the store without stupid jokes. He pulled into his private parking space, shifted into park, and cut the engine. Worst Christmas season I ever had, he muttered. He was still muttering as Reva followed him up to his office. She gave him a quick kiss on the forehead, asked to deposit her coat in his closet, then headed back to the elevator to take her way down to the main floor. Hank was at his post in front of the bank of security monitors. He raised his head expectantly as she approached, but she cut him dead, sharply turning her face toward the opposite wall as she passed. The morning dragged on forever. There were few customers, even though it was so close to Christmas. Ms. Smith wanted to discuss the horrible crime. That poor guard, I knew him, she said, wringing her bony hands. Reva test test, but didn't add anything to the discussion. At lunchtime, she was surprised to see Mitch in front of her counter, wearing standard stucker attire of faded jeans and a plain gray sweatshirt. Reva, can I see you? he asked, an urgent look on his face. Reva smiled back at him. You're seeing me? He didn't smile back. No. I mean, can I talk to you? In private. His eyes searched the long counter. Well, my supervisor just went to lunch, Reva said, studying his face, trying to figure out what he wanted to talk to her about so urgently. I'm not supposed to leave until she gets back. It'll only take a few minutes, Mitch said, his dark eyes pleading with her. Okay, well, wait a sec, Reva asked the sales girl at the counter across from hers, a redhead named Mindy, to watch her booth. The young woman was reluctant, but Reva took Mitch's arm and hurried off without giving her a choice. Mitch led her back to the electronics department. One aisle, the middle one, had been roped off by the police. Several police officers were in the department now, along with two photographers, who seemed to be taking flash pictures of every display encounter. The stockroom behind the electronics department was empty. Reva shivered as she followed Mitch to a low bench in the corner. It was at least twenty degrees colder in there than in the rest of the store. We keep the doors to the outside open, Mitch explained. It makes it easier to work if you're a little cold. Fascinating, Reva said sarcastically. She sat down on a low bench. Mitch dropped down beside her and immediately reached for her, pressing his face up close to kiss her. She let him kiss her for only a few seconds, then pulled her head away. Aren't you afraid Lisa might walk in and catch us again? she asked coyly. He shook his head, a grin spreading across his face, the dimples appearing in his cheeks. No, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, Reva. Well? Well, Lisa broke up with me. He stared at her, expecting a big reaction, but Reva decided not to give him the satisfaction. Why'd she do that? she asked, playing innocent. Because of you, he blurted out. I mean, because of me and you? That was easy, Reva thought, enjoying her triumph over Lisa secretly. If only Mitch weren't such a wimp, she thought. I'd enjoy this even more. But the sight of him running after Lisa the other day, ready to beg Lisa to forgive him, 
had made Reba decide that Mitch wasn't worthy of her attention. That's too bad, she told Mitch, pouring on the sympathy in her voice. Huh? His face filled with surprise at her reaction. Well, Lisa was really mad. But I guess it's for the best, he said, recovering quickly. He put a hand on her shoulder. I mean, after last week, I thought, well... She stared at him as if she had no idea what he was talking about. Well, since I'm not going with Lisa anymore, he continued uncertainly, I thought maybe you and I could, uh, well, maybe go to a movie or something Saturday night. Reva removed his hand from her shoulder and stood up. No, I don't think so, Mitch, she said coldly. You have another date? No, she said, her face hard and expressionless, not revealing how much she was enjoying herself. I just don't think so. She started to walk back to the selling floor, but he caught up with her and grabbed her arm. You don't want to go out with me. That's the general idea, she said flatly. She stared at him until he let go of her arm and took a step back, his face red, his dark eyes wide with anger. I don't get it, he said. That's right, she replied and smiled for the first time. You can't do this to people, Reva, he screamed, starting to lose his temper. Looks like I just did, she told him smugly. You can't come on to somebody and, and, out of frustration and not being able to say what he wanted, he picked up the wooden bench he'd been sitting on and heaved it against the wall. Very impressive, Reva cracked, ignoring his angry curses. She ambled slowly and deliberately away from the stockroom without a glance back. What a baby, she thought scornfully. What on earth did I ever see in him? When she got back to the perfume counter, Minnie was on the phone. It's for you, she told Reva after pushing the hold button. Your cousin Pam? Reva waved her hand, refusing to take the receiver. Tell her I'm not in today, she said. Tell her you haven't seen me. Minnie hesitated for a moment, gave Reva a curious look, then spoke into the phone, giving Pam the message. I don't feel like having a boring lunch with Pam today, Reva thought, glancing at the big clock on the far wall next to the Christmas tree. Pam is such a downer. She'll just want to complain about her life. She's always making me feel guilty for having more than she does. Well, I'm just not in the mood to feel guilty today. Not about Mitch and Lisa. Not about Pam. Mindy was off the phone now and hurrying across the aisle to her counter. That package? It came for you, she called back to Reva, pointing. Reva turned to see an enormous brown carton behind her in the cash register alcove. The carton was nearly as tall as she was. It wasn't gift-wrapped, but it did have a wide red ribbon tied around it with a large bow on top. Oh no, Reva thought dispiritedly. Another stupid practical joke. Who was doing this to her? What kind of dumb, obnoxious gag was it this time? Shaking her head, she found a pair of scissors in the supply drawer beneath the register, cut open the carton, pulled back the lid, and peered inside. It took her a second to realize that she was staring at a stiff, folded-up human corpse. Then, still gripping the carton lid tightly with both hands, she started to scream. Chapter 19 Reva was still screaming when Ms. Smith appeared. She and Mindy pulled Reva away from the carton and peered inside. It's a mannequin, Mindy shouted. Reva didn't seem to hear her. It's a mannequin, only a mannequin, Miss Smith repeated, taking Reva firmly by the shoulders. It sure looks real, Mindy said, shaking her head. Reva, trembling all over, watched in silence as Mindy tilted the carton onto its side and pulled out the lifelike mannequin. Who sent this? Miss Smith snapped angrily, staring at Reva as if accusing her. Reva was still too overcome to speak. The mannequin stared up at Reva with wide, pale blue eyes, a wry smile painted on his face. It looks as if it's laughing at me, Reva thought. Everyone is laughing at me. I've made a complete fool of myself. But it looks so real, so dead. Look, there's a gift card, Mindy exclaimed. She pulled a small white card off the mannequin's wrist. Ms. Smith grabbed it out of Mindy's hand and tore open the envelope. She read it silently to herself, then held it up to Reva. 
in scroll block letters were the words, Happy Holidays from a Friend. What's going on here? Reva wondered, staring at the card. This isn't funny. This isn't funny at all. When she raised her head, she noticed a blur of faces. The perfume counter was surrounded by a huge crowd of people, their expressions troubled, curious. All of them were staring at her. Who sent this? Ms. Smith asked, her voice shrill and accusing. Is this some kind of joke? What an awful joke, Mindy said with disgust. The mannequin continued to stare up at Reva, the wry smile frozen on his pretty painted face. The store suddenly got much noisier, the voices around her rising in a wave, as if the volume had been turned up. The circle of onlookers seemed to close in. The ceiling came crashing down. The floor rose up to meet it. No, please! Reva had to get away, away from the crowd, from their eyes, their chattering voices, away from the cold, staring body. Straight-arming Mindy, she pushed out of the alcove and kept running. Reva! Reva! She could hear Ms. Smith's shrill, alarmed voice behind her. But she didn't stop, didn't turn around. She kept running, running blindly through a blur of startled faces, not sure where she was running, just running away. Happy holidays from a friend. The words on the card followed her down the aisle. Someone is trying to frighten me, she realized. Someone is trying to terrify me. Who could it be, she wondered, and why? Why are they doing this? And just how far will they go? Mr. Wakeley, the collar of his worn leather jacket pulled up around his neck, padded through the living room, and stopped at the front door. You kids need anything. Help yourselves, he said. Thanks, Mr. Wakeley, Pam said uneasily. She was sitting on the edge of the worn couch, clay beside her. Mickey was standing at the window, staring out at the snow-covered trees. Where are you going, Dad? Mickey asked. The roads are pretty slick. Just down to the corner for a few beers, Mr. Wakeley replied, pulling open the door. I think I can make it. I'm not entirely feeble, you know, he added sharply. He slammed the door behind him. Through the window, Mickey watched him make his way down the drive on foot, heading no doubt to Pat's, a dreary little bar just half a block away. Has he improved any? Pam asked Mickey. His spirits, I mean? Mickey shook his head. He goes out for his beers now instead of downing them at the kitchen table. Call that an improvement? He continued to stand at the window for a while longer, then joined his friends across the room. He slouched low into a folding chair inside. I keep expecting a knock on the door, he said quietly. You mean the police? Pam asked, automatically checking the door. Yeah, Mickey replied. It's been three days. I can't figure out why we haven't been caught yet. Maybe we're not going to get caught, Clay said, breaking his silence. He'd been staring at his sneakers since he'd arrived about an hour before. Maybe we got away with it. He narrowed his gray eyes and stared at Mickey as if challenging him. Mickey glanced at Pam and didn't say anything. We got away with murder, Pam muttered, thinking out loud. We didn't murder anybody, Clay insisted loudly, jumping to his feet and pacing. I told you, my gun wasn't loaded. Sit down, Clay, Pam said, slapping the couch cushion. I only meant... Somebody else killed the guard, Clay said heatedly, jamming his fists into his jeans pockets. He wouldn't say anything more. And somebody else got $25,000, Mickey added glumly. Yeah, and we left with what we came in with. Nothing, Clay shouted, working himself up into a rage. Did you talk to Maywood? Pam asked calmly, her hands clasped nervously in her lap. Did you find out what happened to him Friday night? Clay shook his head as he paced to the window, taking Mickey's old spot and staring out at the thin layer of new snow. Less than an inch had fallen during the day. I tried calling him at Dalby's. They said he called in sick. When I tried his apartment, there was no answer. If he was sick, wouldn't he have called you? Pam asked, playing nervously with the frayed fabric on the couch arm. I just don't understand why he let us go through with the robbery if he knew he wasn't going to be there. I mean, if he knew it was going to be a different guard, why wouldn't he... 
How should I know? Clay interrupted wildly. Give me a break, will you? Pam wasn't accusing you or anything, Mickey cried, coming to Pam's defense. You both think it's my fault the thing got messed up, Clay said, his eyes starting back and forth between them. Well, there's nothing I could do. He moved to the center of the room, breathing hard, his chest heaving. We don't blame you, Mickey said, trying to calm Clay. Mickey was obviously frightened. He knew what Clay could be like if he lost control. We're all this together, right? Pam added quickly. Come on, Clay, sit down. He crossed his arms over his chest, refusing to budge. Did you call your cousin? Mickey asked Pam. Does her father suspect anything? Does he know anything? I tried to reach her around lunchtime, but the girl at the perfume counter said she wasn't there, Pam said, making an annoyed face. I think I heard her in the background before I was put on hold. She just didn't want to talk to me. Because she knows that you, that we... Mickey couldn't finish his question. Nobody knows anything, Clay insisted loudly, as if trying to convince himself. If anybody thought it was us there Friday night, we wouldn't be here sitting talking about it. We'd be in a hot little room somewhere, being grilled by the cops. Clay's right, Mickey said, brightening. It's obvious that no one saw us. No one has any idea we were there. The phone beside the couch rang. Pam, startled, picked it up. Hello? The voice on the other end was gruff, hoarse. I saw what you did, he rasped. What? Pam froze. I saw what you did, the voice croaked low and menacing. I want my share. No! Pam shrieked and dropped the phone. Chapter 20 Where were you last night? Foxy asked. Pam hesitated for a moment. I told you. I went over to Mickey's, she said uneasily, avoiding his eyes. I offered to help him and Clay. They've got a big math project due at the end of vacation. Oh, I didn't remember. Foxy stared at her thoughtfully, pulling at the neck of his blue sweater. Are you okay, Pam? Yeah, fine, she lied, forcing a smile. She squeezed his arm tenderly, reassuring him. He knows me too well, she thought. He can tell that something is troubling me. If only I could tell him, but I won't. No way. No way I want him to get involved. It was Tuesday night. Pam's parents were out grocery shopping, and she and Foxy were sitting on the living room couch. Some sitcom was on the TV across the room, but neither of them was paying any attention to it. How's work? Pam asked, trying to change the subject trying to get Foxy to stop her from studying her so intently. He shrugged. Not bad. It has its enjoyable moments, he said. How come you've been hanging out with Clay and Mickey so much? She smiled at him, trying to cover up her uneasiness. Foxy, you're not the jealous type, are you? She asked, taking his big hand between hers. Maybe, he replied, returning her smile. It's just that you've been so busy, she told him, trying not to sound defensive. He started to say something, but the phone rang. She got up crossed the room to turn down the sound on the TV, then picked up the phone from the low table near the hallway. She recognized the gruff voice immediately. I want my share, he whispered in her ear. He knows where I live, Pam thought. He knows who I am. She glanced across the room at Foxy, who was watching her, who must have seen the horror on her face. I want $10,000, or I'm telling the police, the voice rasped. What do you mean? Pam asked, her voice trembling. She turned toward the wall, hoping Foxy wouldn't hear. I saw you, the voice said. I saw you kill the guard. I saw everything. No, we didn't, Pam shrieked. We didn't do it. Across the room, Foxy jumps to his feet. The caller ignored Pam's outburst. I want $10,000 to keep quiet, he rasped. I'll be coming for it soon. But we don't have any money, Pam cried. She was talking to a dead phone line. He had already clicked off. Pam. She was startled to discover that Foxy was standing right beside her. Pam. What is it? Who was that? 
Oh, Foxy, she cried and fell into his arms. He hugged her close. What? What? Tell me, he insisted. I'm so scared, she confessed, her head against his chest. So scared. Who was that, he repeated. What's happening, Pam? She had to tell him. She was too frightened to hold it in any longer. He led her back to the couch, and they sat down. He held her arms tightly. Foxy, you're not going to like this, she began, and then told him the whole story. She started with the night at Mickey's when Clay revealed his plan for robbing Dalby's. With a trembling voice, she told him about the robbery, how it went wrong, how the guard was shot, how they fled, and just narrowly escaped before the police arrived. Even though they were alone in the house, she whispered, leaning in close to him. All the time she talked, she studied his face for the disapproval she knew would be there. But Foxy's face revealed only concern, concern mixed with disbelief. He listened to the whole story in silence. Then, when she finished telling him about the raspy voice demanding $10,000, he let go of her. His expression changed. His dark eyebrows lowered over his dark eyes. Pam, he said, I I'm so sorry. She had managed to hold herself together till then, but now her shoulders heaved and she began to sob. Foxy reached out to comfort her, but she pushed him away. She wanted to cry. She wanted to sob and scream and kick. She'd been holding in for too long, much too long. But to Pam's surprise, the feeling passed quickly. She dried her cheeks with her hands. She smiled guiltily at Foxy and apologized. I didn't want you to know any of this, she admitted. I wasn't going to tell you. I'm not surprised about Clay, Foxy said thoughtfully, but you and Mickey. I just got so tired of being poor, Pam cried, and so, so jealous of Reva, I guess. I don't know, Foxy. I mean, I have no excuse. I was stupid. I went along with it. She stood up suddenly, gripped by one thought. What am I going to do now? This creep who just called, he knows where I live. He, he's very frightening, Foxy. You have to go to the police. Tell them everything. Just what you told me, Foxy said. No, I can't, she shouted. Don't you see? The police won't believe us. I'm amazed that you do. But Pam, no, she cut him off firmly. We can't tell the police that we were there, but didn't kill the guard or take the money. They wouldn't believe us in a million years. Besides, Clay would never agree to go to the police. Foxy got up off the couch and grabbed Pam's hand. Let's go see Clay, he said. A few minutes later, they were in her mother's car, driving toward Mickey's house, where Clay and Mickey were hanging out as usual. Earlier in the day, the snow had started to melt. Then the temperature dropped again, and the roads froze over. Foxy gripped the passenger door handle tightly as the car slipped across the ice. Can't you drive a little slower? he asked nervously. I'm only going 15, Pam told him, and I'm still sliding all over. It's really treacherous. Maybe we should turn around and go back. No, he insisted. We're almost there. We've got to talk to Clay and Mickey and figure out what you're going to do about this blackmailer. You're being very understanding about this whole thing, Pam said, pulling out of a skid. I'm a saint, remember? Foxy cracked, holding onto the door handle for dear life. They slid most of the way to Mickey's house where Pam parked by the curb. To walk up to the front door, they had to lean into the frigid north wind. Mickey was surprised when he saw Foxy. Hi, how's it going? He asked Foxy, staring at Pam. He knows, Pam told Mickey. I told him all about it. Let us in. It's freezing out here, Foxy cried. Isn't much warmer in here, Mickey said, shaking his head. I don't think Dad paid the heating bill. They stepped into the small living room. Yo, join the party, Clay said glumly. Clay, I got another phone call, Pam said anxiously, the words spilling out of her. The same guy with the croaky voice? He says he wants $10,000. He says he saw us in the store. He says he's coming for his 10000 real soon. Clay didn't react at first, just stared intently at the window. Then he looked up at Pam and in a low, calm voice said, Whoever he is, I'll kill him. The quiet way Clay said that frightened Pam as much as anything that had happened. 
It was something people said all the time. I'll kill him. I swear I'll kill him. It was something said in anger, an empty expression. People never really meant it. With Clay, it was different. Clay didn't say things he didn't mean. It was one of the scary things about him. Clay, you're kidding, right? Pam said, more of a plea than a question. Please, promise me you're kidding. 